Hello, podcasters and anchorers. Today is Friday, the 11th of August. I'm Jason England, and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com, where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. Now, in the spirit of alliteration, the idea was to call this Fluffy Friday, but to be fair, the only animal that I'm really a fan of is dogs. Yes, I am a dog person. Dogorado Dog Radio on Anchor is probably quite appreciative of this. Shout out to their channel. It's pretty hilarious. Um, so we're going to call this Doggo Friday. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the history of the term doggo, where it came from. Uh, dogs in movies. Um, the dog that was disguised as a lion. And also the most expensive breed of dog. Just all kinds of dog love. Enjoy it. And to kick things off, where exactly did the words doggo and papa come from? Like, we know them now as pretty heckin' cute ways of describing the fluffy animals around us. Um, but where did it start? Who said it first and where did it come from? Well, according to Google Dictionary, the word doggo means to remain motionless and quiet to escape detection, which is believed to have originated sometime in the late 19th century, which was an amalgamation of the word dog and the ending sound of O. So it's an obscure origin and it's apparently from dog plus O. On May 22nd, 2014, the Ding Della Doggo Facebook page was launched, and this was the first time that the word doggo was related to dogs. And it typically highlighted dog-related meme images, and within three years, the page had garnered upwards of 29,300 likes. And this is where it started to spread, because on June 6th, 2015, the subreddit page Doggos was launched for viewers to share photographs of dogs. And on July 21st, a Better Names for Things chart titled What Are Animals was submitted to the subreddit group Me In Real Life, so Me IRL, featuring a picture of a Shiba Inu dog labelled as a common doggo and a fennec fox listed as a special doggo. Of course, it exploded into bigger and broader popularity after the Twitter account dog underscore rates became a thing and it's been huge ever since. In fact, it even got a story on BBC News, which was quite interestingly taken on by the social media guy of BBC News as well, who decided to respond to everybody in the comments about the news story with the doggo language. So telling everybody that they're being heckin' cute and also talking about fluff doggos. And speaking of keen history facts, the oldest dog in existence was an Australian cattle dog named Bluey. He was born in Australia on the 7th of June 1910 and he died on the 14th of November 1939. That means he lived the long old time of 29 years and 160 days. And that translated to dog years is, while I get it calculated,
And speaking of good old doggos, the oldest dog to have ever existed was an Australian cattle dog named Bluey. Born on the 7th of June 1910 in Australia, he lived a massive 29 years and 160 days until he died on 14th of November 1939. So to translate this to dog years, this is this means that dog died at 129 years old in dog years. So he was a good old boy. The second place was a beagle who was named Butch, who was born in 1975 and died in 2003 at the age of 28. And now we turn to a doggo imposter. In 2013, a Chinese zoo came under fire when it turned out its African lion wasn't actually an African lion at all. It was exposed to the fraud when it started barking. It turns out that the zoo in the People's Park of Luau in the central province of Henan replaced exotic exhibits with common species, such as replacing the African lion with just a big fluffy dog. It quoted a customer's surname Liu who wanted to show her son the different sounds animals made but he pointed out that the animal in the cage labelled African Lion was barking. The beast was in fact a Tibetan Mastiff, a large and long-haired breed of dogs. The zoo is absolutely cheating us, the paper in China quoted Liu who was charged 15 won, which is $2.45 for the ticket. They are trying to disguise dogs as lions. Three of the species housed incorrectly included two copy rodents in a snake's cage, a white fox in a leopard's den, and another dog in a wolf pen. <laughs> so, the chief of the park's animal department, Liu Suya, told the paper that while it does have a lion, it had been taken to a breeding facility and the dog, which belonged to an employee, had been temporarily housed in the zoo over safety concerns. Now, that's a pretty pretty ambitious excuse to try and get out of trying to disguise a lion as a dog. To be fair, I think it's adorable, but then again, I know I'm just a dog person. I'd feel pretty cheated out of this as well. Hey, what's up over there? This is Dan from Dog Radio. Hey, I love that you're doing a dog segment today, man. Thanks for the shout out and just thanks for your awesome show. I'm excited to see where this goes. Cheers. And now we turn to the Soviet Union. Way back in the 1930s, the Soviets trained dogs outfitted with bombs to run underneath enemy tanks and blow them up. Now, before you start freaking out, they didn't actually blow up the dogs. The original idea was for a dog to carry a bomb strapped to its body and reach a specific static target. The dog would then release the bomb by pulling with its teeth a self-releasing belt and return to the operator. And then the bomb could then be detonated either by a timer or a remote control though the remote control part of it was too rare and expensive at the time to be used, so they would use a timer. The group of dogs practiced this for six months, but the reports showed that no dogs could actually master the task. The difficulty that they saw of it was that on the battlefield, the dogs preferred to target the Soviet tanks and blow them up because they were the ones they practiced with during the training session. Oh, what 
goes around comes right back around. And now something not even related to dogs, but also kind of related to dogs at the same time. Confusing? Yeah, I know, but let me explain. I also learnt that blind shrimp recruit fish as kind of their seeing eye dogs. So essentially they would piggyback on a fish and actually get the fish to guide them somewhere. And as an extra little nugget of info there, if the shrimp happened to get lost, the fish would actually rush over and actually guide the shrimp back home. That just shows the dedication of not just the seeing eye fish in this situation, but then it also gets me to talk about seeing eye dogs, which are the source of my absolute frustration because I can't pet them. It kills me whenever I see a ridiculously cute doggo across the road and it has that little yellow collar on that says, please do not pet me, I'm at work. And it's like, no, you're so nice. We now move on to dogs in movies and their inspiration for movies and just how awesome dogs are and how they are connected to films. So let's rock and roll. Today I learned that the character Chewbacca was inspired by the director George Lucas's Alaskan Malamute dog. It would often ride co-pilot in George's car whenever they went out to take the dog for a walk and its name this is also shows you what other inspiration that this dog gave George Lucas was Indiana. That explains the we named the dog Indiana line from the last crusade too. Next up, have you ever seen the film Up? Now that I've mentioned Up, chances are you've already got a pretty good idea who I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about Doug, the English speaking golden retriever who stole hearts across the world, including mine. Turns out he actually won a Palm Dog Award for the best canine performance at the Cannes Film Festival. This is pretty mad because he beat out the Fox from Antichrist and the Black Poodle from Inglorious Bastards, which shows that CGI is considered by some judging panels as real for some odd reason. And now we turn to I Love You Man, the pretty forgettable yet funny comedy from Jason Segel and Paul Rudd. It turns out that the makers of the film are be were sued by the daughter of Egypt's former president for naming a dog after him. In the film, Jason Segel's character has named a dog Anwar Sadat, and when asked if it's because he likes the former president's policies, the character replies, it is due to the dog's resemblance to the Egyptian leader. This is a disaster, a serious affront, said Samir Sabri, the lawyer for Rokaya Sadat, daughter of the former president and Peace Nobel Prize winner. The name of the dog also appears in the credits as Anwar Sadat, playing himself the dog. The film, starring Segal and Paul Rudd and directed by John Hamburg, opened in Egypt last month, but the scene with the dog had earlier been excised by the distributor. To quote from the lawyer's brief, this has caused serious psychological and moral damages to the plaintiff as President Sadat is a prominent figure in the Arab history in general and in Egyptian history in particular. Everyone agrees that he is a unique leader who was politically savvy and has worked hard to serve his country. 
I don't know about you, but I'd love to have a dog named after me in a film. Or just a dog in general named after me. So long as it's a Golden Retriever. Not that I'm biased towards Golden Retrievers at all. I love Golden Retrievers. I'm going to stop talking about Golden Retrievers now. And now to wrap up the show with a few just kind of random dog facts that I found and I quite enjoy. I learnt that when cats and dogs, as well as many other animals, lick their lips, it is a behaviour they perform when stressed or uncomfortable. It is also a calming signal used to diffuse a potentially tense situation to calm the other dog, cat or human. Lip licking is just what it sounds like, which is a dog licking his lips. If you notice a dog is licking his lips when there's no food food involved, he's just probably trying to send a message, which in this situation is calming signals, as detected by behaviorist Turid Rugas. Lip licking is often referred to as an appeasement gesture. What it all boils down to is that dogs who will lick their lips feel stressed and they feel uncomfortable about what's going on around them that they perceive as a threat. Dogs lick their lips, lip, lip, their libs, lick their lips to appease or soothe a person or animal they perceive as a threat in all order to warn off aggression. An example of this can be seen in dogs who are scolded when their owners return home after being, all, being gone all day only to find a dog has had an accident in the house. In other words, pooped on the carpet. A dog might not connect the scolding to relieving himself indoors, but instead sees his owner as a threat. The owner may be yelling and looming over him, and so the dog offers an appeasement gesture by licking his lips and averting his gaze. This is the dog's way of saying that he isn't a threat to the person or animal behaving in an aggressive manner. And in one of the more amazing facts of today, I also learned that dogs can detect blood sugar levels in diabetics and warn them if they are too high or too low. So, found on BBC Ouch is this person called Claire who has brittle diabetes, which means she experiences large swings in blood sugar levels that cause either hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, or hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar. And she has a medical helper dog called Magic, who is an adorable golden, golden Labrador. Labrador? Labrador. And she, Magic has the amazing ability to give her owner warning signs that she is hypo or hyperglycemic. Magic is able to detect even minute odour changes in Claire's breath that indicate she may be hypo. Amazingly, he can still do this from another room in the house. When Claire's blood sugar drops below 4.5 on the scale, meaning she's turning hypoglycemic, Magic warns her by nudging, licking or even bringing Claire her diabetes testing kit. Magic has done this more than 1300 times already, saving Claire from potential seizures, serious injury, unconsciousness and even entering a diabetic coma. And that is why magic is pretty damn magic. And finally, which dog do you think is the most expensive breed of dog in the world? Yes, I know they're all good boys and good girls. They're all super good doggos 
and even more amazing puppers. But it turns out that the most expensive breed is the Egyptian Pharaoh Hound, which costs up to a whopping $6,500, which in British Great British Pound Sterling is, after I've finished typing this into Google to actually find it out, £5,007. That is a crazy amount of money. Right, let's move on to getting trivia time out the way. So yesterday, I asked you a question around football, specifically, well, soccer, to American fans out there of this show. I asked, what year were yellow and red cards invented to book players? So whenever you committed a foul on the field, you will always get a yellow card or a red card or just a stern telling off from the referee. The referee which in soccer or football nowadays, nobody really listens to or just generally shouts expl explosives at. It's a, it's a bit of a nasty business, but still. Turns out the year that yellow and red cards were brought into the game were, is, if I actually use the right word for that, is, and I'll put the phone towards the drum roll. 1966, just before the World Cup in 1966, actually. Um, it was brought in by as a means to help encourage more discipline on the field. How well that has gone nowadays. And instead of doing trivia time over the weekend, I thought I'd try something a little bit different. See what kind of call-ins I can get from you guys if I was to do something called doggo time. Obviously, this won't be a permanent fixture. It's just for this weekend, just to see what kind of a response it gets. Basically, all I want to know is what is your favorite breed of dog? Everybody has one. Even people who say they hate dogs will see a dog on the screen and know that they love that particular breed of dog. So call in and let me know your favorite breed of dog. I'll give you mine. Mine, as you heard from a couple of segments before that I always keep referring to them, is the Golden Retriever. I know it's quite a popular pick, but I do have a personal story behind it, so bear with me. Golden Retrievers have always been dogs that my family have picked and I've, they've been my childhood ever since I was a kid and there was my dog called Gemma who I was small enough to ride around the house and also fell in love with and petted heavily all throughout every single day and she got onto I guess my level as well in that while I was a very stroppy baby when I was a, when I was super young I ended up becoming quite chilled out and so did Gemma. She would come and sit next to me while we were watching TV. She also quite enjoyed the odd episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. Moving on from that, there was Digby, who was a dog that I knew throughout all of his life. I first met him when he was a puppy and he jumped straight into my arms and blamed or licked all over my face and I was there for all of his life up until the ripe old age of 14 when his attitude to movement was simply just rolling around from place to place. Um, a funny story about Digby, um, we would 
Right, he loved tennis balls, like any golden retriever does. Let's not kid ourselves here. Um, and he saw a tennis ball being thrown in the distance by someone else. And he ran for it. And he ran straight into a red post box and knocked himself out temporarily. What a silly doggo. Anyway, call in with your favorite dogs or just call in just to share your, share your appreciation for dogs. They deserve it. They're all good dogs.